Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to the 9320 Friday Show podcast, the show that wants to smash its house up every time it reads a newspaper article talking about the white stuff. It's called snow. Right, got that run out of the way. Uh, apart from the odd sex scandal, it's been a quiet week, but we've still got plenty to talk about. Uh, we'll be looking at the title race, the state of city, English teams in Europe. Dan, aka HLTCO, popped in on Wednesday to talk all things Crystal Palace. He wasn't in the best mood, to be honest. And we'll be briefly bringing in Peter Walton and previewing the big match on Saturday evening. That's kind of under the lights. Uh, to do so, drafted in the big guns again, it's Chris and Lloyd. Uh, first up, good morning, Chris. Good morning. I have warned you about the Peter Walton thing before, Howard. It's not to do with you. It's to do with our uh, WhatsApp discussion when you were okay. at a gig the other night. <laughs> so if you can hold off for five minutes... <laughs> okay. It's not, <laughs> it's not another dig at you. I'm I, sorry. It's just, it's just an instinct now, straight away, that as soon as no, you no. mention Walton's name, I just feel that sense of... Like, we, had, we had the disciplinary tribunal, and I've <laughs> taken on board everything that was said, and I won't yeah. be having a dig at you again yeah you can take the boy out of sale can't you but i'm sorry <laughs> how are you anyway yeah busy. i'm good um yeah i'm very busy i've uh i'm really glad to be able to do the pod this morning because i've just i've been i've been fortunate enough to be working away with my work mm. and um uh so uh, yeah i've not had any time to do it so i'm really glad to be able to catch up with you and lloyd this morning that's good job yeah you're you're a south manchester boy so no snow I outside am. Uh, there's a tiny, it's been trying to, there's a tiny little sort of gentle powdering of it, but it's just cold. I was in, I was in city centre last night, been to the theatre and when I came out, it was like that nasty Arctic wind mm. biting. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's not a night. It, what, last night was not a night to, to be a homeless person of which I saw plenty. Mm. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, that was rough. Uh, good play, was it? <laughs> It was called Beginnings by David Eldridge at the exchange, and a friend of mine was in it. And uh, no, it wasn't really? very good. And uh, <laughs> your friend's not listening, I hope. Well, I, I chatted to him at the end. I, I'm, I'm quite experienced being able to to diplomatically tell friends that I didn't like what they did. I thought they were fine, but I, di- I didn't think it was a very good play. I didn't think it was very well directed. Um, so I used to work. I used to work at the exchange. I'm kind of hoping no one is listening. It's one, <laughs> one of my favourite. Spaces in the world, I reckon. I think, yeah, I think it's, um, it's, I worked there for 10 years as a producer and I never failed to be excited Mm. about what artists and designers and directors could could do in there. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I've been less kind of excited by their work recently. They go, I think they're going through a little bit of a transitional period. Um, but yeah, it's still one of the most exciting performance spaces I've ever worked in. Yeah. Last time I was there, I saw Daniel Kitson. It's one of the. Oh, yeah. I saw him a couple of times there. Yeah. He's so good in that space. Got to get back there soon. Love it. Uh, Lloyd, good morning. Morning, you two doing a, a, a dramatic pod? <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve wants to do a film and music ones during the international break. There is an international break coming. Hold your excitement. So we're just warming up and see, uh, uh, testing the water. Take it away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good. All good, mate. Looking forward to the weekend? I am. I have had a sniff of a ticket and I'm trying to think whether that's a good idea and I'm going to decide tomorrow. <laughs> late, late fitness test. Uh... Very late fitness test, yeah. I think it's limbs that I'm worried about. So, you know, hopefully we win 1-0 and the 
it's whilst I'm like getting a pint at half time or something. Um, but yeah. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. It's not a bad place to go for half five Saturday evening kickoff, is it? So no, it's not hard to get to though. Nearest Premier League ground to my house. So oh, that's um, not bad then. But usually very difficult for anyone who yeah. doesn't live in South London to get to Palace. Yeah, very selfish of Crystal Palace to be situated there. But hey, what can you do? Uh, right. Let's crack on then. There's still plenty to talk about, but Chris, was it weird not having a midweek match? Did you actually enjoy the the time off? I seem to have spent too long in pubs recently just watching City in the evening. Uh, And I've got quite into the mood of it, to be honest. Just having a few pints watching City, it's been part of the routine because obviously we had five away games on the bounce, so I didn't actually go to a match for a few weeks. Uh, Yeah, it's been a quiet week mostly so did you enjoy it or did you actually after the Newcastle game crave another game and join the week early part of the season I don't I don't mind if we have an occasional midweek break but at this part of the season I actually prefer to have constant games every three or four days and I think it's because particularly with this season the narrative is so changeable that whilst we won on Saturday there's also the manner with which Arsenal won and the whole fallout from Liverpool's win. I just, I, I wanted another round of games to be able to extinguish all the kind of, you know, hyperbole around that. So actually, I'd have preferred to have it to would have had another midweek game, particularly a Premier League game, just because so, if the narr- if the narrative isn't suiting me, I want an opportunity for it to keep changing. But I mean, yeah. you know, I, I kept myself busy. But yeah, at this point now, I've, I've become attuned to having a game every three or four days and I, I do prefer it like that Shall we get the Peter Walton chat out of the way? Okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well we're going to talk about Arsenal, our games last weekend where stands state of play, you can have a say because we did a pod on that earlier in the week We're going to look at uh, English teams in Europe but the reason I want to just quickly get this out this uh, way uh, you were, you and your busy social life, you were at a gig on Tuesday was Tuesday it? Tuesday night, yeah I don't ask you if that was any good because you might slag off someone no, else. No, it was it was excellent. Yeah, it was excellent. Did so. you did you see the Peter Walton masterclass? No, no, I didn't see that. All I all I saw was the replay of the penalty it was given, and then the replay of the retake. Well, very as well. briefly, I, did, uh, I didn't see Walton's uh, diatribe around. Yeah, you know Dale Johnson does it online. Yeah, he's so good at his. Yeah, but uh, people are. So, I I just. I detest that that's a penalty, but you know his view was in Europe that will be given. Are you happy with that being given as a penalty? First of all, I thought it was harsh. Yeah, yeah. But I thought it was know, European in the Champions League. It's a bit harsher than. Uh, yeah, maybe, but I still think, like as I've said time and time again, the laws are the laws, and what it depends upon is the application of them. So, in the same way, in the same way, when we played Arsenal, and and we had a penalty given as against us, of against Edison, which is which is on countless occasions is ne- never given. It's it's the way that ref is trying to apply themselves in that particular game. So, I just I just thought it was harsh, and I thought I thought I thought that the, the VAR was harsh with it as well so basically if I'm if I'm refereeing that game I'm not I'm not giving that even with even with the benefit of, of a replay I'm not giving that I think it's too borderline and it's always the same thing when you are when you're refereeing a game if you give a penalty you've got to be 100% and that for me was not 100% penalty 
Uh, not a lot of people don't understand the encroachment rule either, do they? So yeah, it's really complicated. <laughs> um, it is really complicated, and I think what so so the encroachment rule was applied correctly. Um, unfortunately, or, or was it because Dale Johnson and, added um, another layer of confusion? Sorry, my series just come on out of the blue. It, it, <laughs> and, ha- and, it has sorry, to affect an, an opponent when yeah 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 which which. I I would never uh, apl- apply that into if 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 I'm refereeing it's so difficult. But if a player is encroaching a defensive player and then he kicks the ball away, I would still give a retake on mm. that one because invariably a, a, an attacking player will probably be near them anyway. Uh, they gain an, they gain an advantage for the encroachment. Well, just very quickly before we move on, because it's not going to be a refereeing pod. Uh, are the laws are the laws more confusing than they used to be? And is it due to VAR that we've got these? Have we got more layers, or has it always been this way, and we just know more about it nowadays? I think that the laws, the laws have not been changed wholesale for quite a long time. Like the last time a proper, like a real wholesale law was like the back pass rule, and there's been other ones changed since then. What you get are tweaks, and you get slight amendments, and and often they're in response to something that's happened in a high level high-profile game, mm. and they try and tweak it. City, that, usually, yeah. yeah, usually against City, yeah. <laughs> that, that, um, that, that, let me just take my tin hat off. Hold on, wait a second. And, and, uh, and that tweak on the encroachment is, is, is just about giving an advantage to a defensive player in that instance. So, so now that defensive player can, 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 um, um, they can they can get, kick, kick the ball away even if they've been in the area. The simple fact is, what it then comes down to is the interpretation that referee is was is was he or she, uh, is, do they think that they were that they were um, impacting on the attacking player's ability to get the ball? But as we've seen with the Marcus Rashford situation in in the derby, that interpretation can can be wide open. And I think what I struggle with is you've got a law which is subjective to interpretation. And when that interpretation has happened, like happened with the Rashford Fernandez goal, they then apply the law again to try and justify it, and I have a real problem with that. Um, so, so I just thought, I just thought the referee, the VAR, created problems for itself, for for, for 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 themselves. I can't remember who the ref was for the Newcastle game, but he doesn't give out yellow cards as much as other referees. Basically, no. no. Uh, Would me and stay out of order for saying that was another issue that. Referees have different tolerance levels in games. Yeah, when we talk about consistency in the game, we're we being harsh, or do you, do you think there should be a bit more, like a yellow card, a yellow card in the you know, same situations? It's it's really it's really challenging. I, I think I've talked about this this before. Is that we we can't expect referees to be um, automatons. Mm. Um, we do need a level of, of consistency, but that applies across across all across all football. It depends what the game is. If I'm refereeing a game which is a heated derby, yeah. I can't be slapping out yellow cards in the first 15 to minutes. To be fair, I did say that there are yeah. contexts. You have to and there you know, are certain games. Weather conditions as well could be taken into yeah. consideration. And, yeah. and, and if someone says you should referee every game the same, I would just say, okay, here's my whistle. You go <laughs> and do it and tell me whether you approach every game in the same way because you simply do not do that. Okay. Right. Let's talk City. Uh, Lloyd, just, uh, we're going to spend a few minutes on last weekend. Seems like a lifetime ago now because <laughs> things move mm. fast. But, uh, yeah, we touched on it on the state of play. 
podcast we did there. If you're a subscriber and haven't listened to that, please do. I really enjoyed that. I think we got deep in where City are at. And I'm going to give Chris a few minutes as well in a bit because he wasn't on the pod and hasn't been on in one recently mm-hmm. to talk about where he thinks City are at going into this weekend. But Lloyd, now the dust has truly settled after last weekend's our t- tough win over Newcastle, Arsenal's last gas winner again against Bournemouth. Did those two games tell us much about where you think this title race is going to go? How it's going to end up? I think they told us it's going to. I think it's going to go pretty deep to the wire. And yeah. I think we've 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 learned that there's only definitely going to be two teams. But I think most City fans probably knew that uh, prior to what happened at Anfield. To be fair, not me. <laughs> well, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I always said, Lloyd, if there's a 1% chance of United in a title race, winning the title, that's 1% too much. So still on edge a bit. So anyway. Well, look, they robbed three points against us at Old Trafford, which shouldn't have happened. So, you know, they'd have been even further off if that hadn't have yeah. gone through. Um, yeah, um, I think, look, I, th- I think it shows that Arsenal, they do have a lot of metal this season. And as as jammy as kind of both of those wins have been a little bit, they're also they're also not that jammy in that if you look at the chances created, the intensity with which they're throwing down at both Villa and Bournemouth's goals, you know, it's not like they're whilst whilst they have obviously conceded a couple of there and that's you know, that is definitely concerning from an Arsenal fan's perspective. They were creating so many chances, and to win late like that is just incredibly galvanising for them. Um, and you know, it's super frustrating from from our point of view. Um, but I think they've proved they're they're very they're very much in it. They're they're obviously ahead of us, and you know they res- they've responded well. I think to us beating them at, at the Emirates because it kind of looked like the wheels potentially could have come off, particularly with being two down at um, Villa so yeah I've been I've been impressed by how they've responded yeah that afternoon as a whole could be crucial still couldn't it oh my god I, if I could you know replay that, that 90 that minutes 2.30 to 4.30 yeah I could absolutely get in the bin <laughs> that two hour period let's just uh, let's just try that one again please and uh, start all over again could be a very different picture uh, well it is what it is Chris, what about you? Because what we asked on the state of play was, you know, before we get to City, is of course three late winners in eight games from Arsenal. They haven't fallen apart. There might be issues, but no one's probably on top of the game that much. Everyone said it was United, and then they lose seven nil. So it's been a strange season in that respect. But what's more important that they get the late winner or that they're two nil down at home to a you know the team that's at the bottom of the table? Ultimately. Did last weekend show that we have no idea where this is going? There's a lot of twists and turns still to come. I think the the prob- I think there are some subplots to emerge, um, and that's particularly symptomatic of of we have been or not unpredictable, but but in- erratic at times. Really, despite us maintaining the second. Uh, place in the league you know there's times when we've been unconvincing but we've still managed to eke out results and and that that's test that's testament to the you know just the experience of the quality of the side and Guardiola's man- managerial skills 
But I think that, I mean, there are certain, you know, undisputed facts is that at the minute it's not in our hands. We need Arsenal to drop points. Yeah. Um, and I don't particularly like being in that position because because it it, it feels it's almost feel like, it feels like a folly waiting to see if Arsenal lose when actually I anticipate for them to win a lot of their matches moving forward as they've done so far. Arsenal, I mean, who do they remind you of? It's like not quite at that level, but there's there's a vibe of. City, 17, 18, 18, 19 quality about them in terms of, way that, in terms of the fact that the, the style of play has been, has been embedded now. Arteta looks confident and they've managed, it, they've managed injury problems with key players really effectively and they've come back from losses. Um, so there is something that is convincing about them now and, when, and they're still in first position with, what, 12 games to go. They are, they are the real deal in terms of a genuine threat. Um, and I keep waiting for City to really be able to to steal a march and go on a long run. I still don't think that's going to happen now. I I, I, I still think there's going to be some ups and downs for mm. both sides. But right now, I just you know we we are five points behind, um, and it could stay that way. Or it could change that the, the return match against Arsenal might not mean anything. Um, the next four or five games for both teams could be critical for them. But I think I think it's been as it. I feel like this. I feel that the, the position we're in is how it's felt for the last two months. Really, yeah. not well, a lot has changed. All right. Well, we you said we said we did a state of play after the World Cup, and mm. the mood was very different now than it was to then. So obviously. There has been some sort of recovery, Chris. But for you, does it actually not feel that much of an improvement since, well, even the day after Spurs when we got a Premier League charge thrown in for good me- mm. measure or Brentford at home just before the World Cup? You know, that, any period around the end of the year, perhaps, or just even more recently with the, that away defeat at Spurs, do you actually think, even if the results have improved, do you not feel that Pep has brought this team kicking the screen back into contention for all the major honours? Yeah, I mean, he, he has. I, I still, it, it's still a work in progress, mm. very much. And I, th- I, th- I think that the, all the noise around those things you've mentioned are hugely distracting. I think the loss to Brentford before the World Cup was an anomaly in terms of a lot of those players were already on the plane. To, 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 to Qatar and, and, and that was I think you know that was clear on the pitch I think things have improved I think I think what has been significant and I hope will be instrumental moving forward um, is the re-emergence of Foden the cementing of Grealish not just of his place but of his role and importance in that team and add Haaland to that mix that's the front three that I'm really excited about and a big part of that is 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 they those three don't necessarily play by the rules in terms of in terms of Guardiola's shape. That they can bend a little bit while still staying within that that framework. I think that has changed. That we can see now that front three is our most critical front three. Who can make the impact? Who, who can make the difference? That, that there's a resilience that has come to City as a club and as a fan base since the charges in the Premier League, which has contextualised it to make us a little bit more robust about it. I think what I'm looking at is the position in the table and the points difference still feels similar. 
and we've never been, we've not been able to capitalize on any chinks in Arsenal's armor. I think we're in a better place than we were before the World Cup. Mm. But that's a lot to just do with like an organic process, really. As as players get more familiar with playing each other, when there's, when when there's new additions coming in, so I am. I was confident beginning the season. I was confident the World Cup break, and I'm still confident now. But I still think there is a an erratic quality where we're not entirely sure about City on the pitch. And that never, you know, and, and never did I feel that more when we were one one up against against <laughs> Newcastle. Wasn't and a I fun thought, period, was it? No, and I and I thought when Bernardo came on and we scored, and then it got to seventy five minutes. I thought, how would we feel now if we were still only one nil up? There'd be a fear factor which I've not felt in previous seasons when we've been challenging for the title. We, is that why we took it into the corner on ninety minutes with a two goal lead, or was that just to have a bit of fun? I just think. I just think Haaland wanted to shit out. Yeah. But apparently it was Diaz, wasn't it? Didn't Diaz instruct them to do it? I don't know. Apparently well, I, I read just, the, uh, the guy in front of me in the match just went, what are we doing this for? We're 2-0 up. But I was really happy for it because it was funny. Yeah. And because yeah, I still, funny. maybe it's always ingrained in me. You know, you get one now, there was six minutes of injury time. It's like, no, you should still see the game out. Just do what you have to do, yeah. I think I, 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 I have this sort of paternal thing towards Haaland that I want to keep him happy. I really enjoy it when he's mm. smiling on the pitch. Yeah. And he was smiling when he was doing that. He, he's proving to be, for, for such a clinical and um, sort of uh, selfish striker in a very good way, he's a fantastic team player. Yeah. He really grasps that um, camaraderie in the City squad. And so just seeing him smiling... Is you know was that I was happy for that and it was safe and if you shit out for two minutes and there's five minutes left you're almost done because the next three minutes Newcastle players are raging about it so they're distracted and they mm. can't focus so yeah I, I loved it uh, Lloyd your thoughts on you know before we we move on on an area we have covered this week in other pods this state of play of where we're at first of all is it what what will be crucial in the rest of the season, basically? Pep or the returning form of players such as Phil Foden and Ruben Diaz and that have the two come together, do you feel in the last few weeks that you feel more confident going forward now into a huge couple of months? Yeah, I think <clears throat> so yeah, we did we did touch on this in the State of Play podcast in quite a bit of detail, but I think I think I'm getting more confidence from the fact that the team is feeling a bit more stable in terms of selection. Um, and I think our big players that, you know, weren't playing particularly immediately post-World Cup and obviously slightly prior to, so like your Diaz is, obviously De Bruyne had been in and out a bit, Foden hadn't been featuring, Walker hadn't been featuring. I think those guys have obviously kind of come back in to varying degrees of success, um, but there's been more. There feels like there's been more stability, particularly defensively, and I think if that continues, which I hope it will, then that definitely does give me confidence. Having look, having Diaz marshalling the back line has made a massive difference. I think Walker coming back into the team, you know, obviously there are off field stuff with him, but you know, on the pitch, I think he's made a big difference, albeit. Lewis has been great, but I think 
you know, he's still 18 and we very much need, um, we very much need Walker for big Premier League games and Champions League games. And Phil has completely lit the place up in the last couple of weeks. He's been our best player. So that, that does give me confidence, um, particularly because Pep has, you know, brought them back in, which suggests that he's happy with them. And Pep himself has been much more kind of upbeat and effusive in his praise of the players in terms of their attitude, their off-field stuff, training. So I think all that kind of stuff bodes well. So there are there are lots of reasons for your positive to positivity to kind of be bubbling. Um and that's that's what we need at this time of the season. Yeah. Uh, just quickly on Haaland, Lloyd, those newspaper reports, I think Miggles was it Miggles who did it? Do you find it utterly laughable, the idea of Real Madrid tried to buy Erling Haaland, who I agree with Chris, you, you wanted to be happy so much. And he, yeah, he's frustrated during matches, but I think he really enjoyed that Newcastle match. And he's, he's assimilated into the squad brilliantly, I think, yeah, just behind oh, yeah. the scenes and whatnot. Do you find it laughable that we're having this discussion? I find it laughable that City fans are trying to sell him. To be honest, I've seen a few. One of this parish, in fact. Um, really? Well, do, are we going to have another disciplinary meeting? I, yeah, it I, was. I, it was borderline what he was saying. It was sort of. Yeah, I, I think. I, I think. I think he was mulling on if it was an outcome that happened, what would be the consequence? I, I don't think he was subscribing to the idea of selling him. Really. Well, well, I, no. well, I said on WhatsApp basically, he's like. If it was a computer game, I can see, I can see the logic to it. Flipping a player for hundred million pounds that for a team that doesn't naturally need a striker, but all that does is totally remove the emotion and joy of being a football fan. If you're thinking in that sort of way of moving him on and getting someone else in, because yeah, it reminds me of when Messi came. I saw people saying like, hey, "He's thirty-four. Has he passed it?" As that, I don't care if his leg falls off 10 minutes into his debut or he has to trundle around the pitch with a Zimmer frame, it's like Lionel Messi in a City shirt. This is everything I couldn't even, I didn't even dream about that happening. And it's the same with Haaland. He's young. He's astonishing. He, there's just no reason why you'd even consider that option. But I guess, Lloyd, I'm asking you, in theory, you know, Realistically, City would never entertain it anyway, would they? Not this summer, no way. It's just never going to happen. So, it, I think it's a complete non-starter for this summer. Obviously, Haaland has a release clause for summer twenty-four and twenty-five, so it will very much become a conversation then, and I imagine we'll get very bored of it very quickly, and we'll be doing lots of pods about it, but. For this summer, it's it's a total non-starter, and I think it really ignores, like what Chris was referring to before. It really ignores the fact that Holland is clearly loving being at City, and he's quite a he's obviously quite a visual kind of guy with his emotion, and you, I think you see that on the pitch. He's you know he kind of loves the taunting of the other players. He um, I think he's really enjoyed being. And playing at the Etihad, and he often like you know is geeing up the fans. Some of his celebrations, I think, have been quite instructive. Uh, you know, think back to the goal at the Emirates, for instance, and how he's celebrating with all the fans. So, 
look, I think people are getting very ahead of themselves. There have been people I've seen trying to sell him on Twitter. Those people deserve dis- disciplinaries. I'll let off possibly the, the the bloke that I think we know we're talking about. Um, you think but, you know people, eh? Uh, <laughs> just be careful what you wish for. I mean, we all wanted this guy desperately and, you know, yes, there are elements where he still needs to adapt, but my God, if, uh, if, if you want to get rid of him, then you may as well sell the whole team, to be honest. Um, yeah. We may have to soon, but that's a different matter altogether. So. I could, to, just to say, right, it was Joe, and we'll throw him under the bus. And he said, <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, he, and basically what he said was, if Real Madrid came in with 250 million plus, what would we do? What would the positive yeah, but be? They're not going to. So no, they're not going to. But, but, but I also think. What think if people, Marco Robbie knocked on my door and said, Do I want to go for a meal at the Ivy? It's like, Well, she's not going to. So let's. She did, she did with me. Oh, um, actually, but, uh, actually, my doorbell's not working properly. Is, I hope is that what not. it is? But I think but people have short memories. We've been here before. We thought Sergio was going to stay three years, Max. We thought David Silva would stay three years, Max. When's the last time in recent history, i.e. the last 10 years, did we lose a player that we really didn't want to lose and they went on to what you would say was... Sane? Yeah, but, but, but the thing is, when, yeah, but when Sane left, whilst we were disappointed that a young, exciting player left, we also nodded our heads and thought, well, okay, we can understand his, his desire to move. This wasn't like losing Sean Wright Phillips when we mm. were playing under Pierce, you know, it, it, it wasn't like losing a player who clearly is going on to the next level. You know, Sane made a sideways move effectively, I think. And it's clearly not, you know, it's not quite been the success story that, that he wanted it to be. But it, it's been a long time since City's had to let go of a player against their will. And I think that we see how ambitious Haaland is if we can fulfil those ambitions for him over the next two to three years, the situation, the picture might be looked very differently then. It's, pe- it's, just, it's just trouble being caused by people like Miguel Delaney as they try to unsettle City in this running. And, and Joe Green, yeah. And Joe... <laughs> oh, <laughs> Joe, Joe for me the, 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 for naming him, to be fair. But there we go. This, is the acid, this is the acid test of whether Joe listens to the Friday show. It, but it wasn't... On, it <laughs> was, if we get a message off him later, so... Yeah, but, but, but it wasn't on WhatsApp, it was on Twitter, so it was full public consumption. And ASAM went into it and footed on it anyway, so... Oh, did it? I just, well, I not, just not, it wasn't two footer, but but it was uh, it was borderline yellow card, and just just in terms it, of not not understanding what 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 his point was. It was studs up knee high, perhaps. Uh, maybe, yeah. It was maybe a maybe a, maybe a warning rather than a yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the main the main thing I, that I saw that I was like hmm, was the last line, which said, "I wouldn't be against it, ducks." So I, yeah. I thought I thought yellow to be fair, but anyway. actually it's me. Uh, yeah, again, you see, so I mean, di- different referees, different interpretations, applications of the law. This is what we need sin bins for, Chris. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's exactly. Sooner right, they yeah. come in, the better. <laughs> uh, one final city chat. Uh, we're doing this early on, far too early on Friday morning. This recording, uh, Pep's press conference will be much later in the day, five and a half hours later. Uh, so we don't. As far as we know, uh, Phil Ford has been training this week after he said his foot flared up. Lloyd, Chris, both of you, is it absolutely near miraculous that we've got 
what appears to be a fully fit squad right now at this stage of the season. And is it luck or do we have to credit not just both Pep, but the, the support staff behind him that we're in this position right now? I've been saying this for a long time, that our behind our, our backroom staff, physios, medical, doctors, everything are of a standard that most of the clubs can only dream of. Mm. And that also extends to the way that they are trained as players. There's no coincidence that, that Liverpool constantly experience chronic bouts of injury due to muscle injury because of the way they train. And there is a, there is a, the, the bit, the, the thing that overwhelms me about City is they always think about the bigger picture. They're always planning ahead. And the way, I think the way they approach players' injuries is always about the bigger picture. Don't rush them back because when they come back, it means they'll be at full fitness again. So I think it is testament to what is a superb infrastructure at the club. Yes, you get luck, but you also make a lot of your own luck in the situation when players are rehabilitating. Yeah, and Lloyd, how big a factor could this be in the next two months? I mean, there will be injuries, of Huge. course. There will be injuries, but, you know... To be at this stage to have none, yeah, it could be big, couldn't it? Yeah, huge. I think again, something we spoke about on the state of play pod, in that I just um, kind of in awe at how our our physio and S and C team have kept our squad as available as it's been, because I think the how thin our squad is hasn't really bitten that hard yet, and I am touching wood here. Um, because I'm aware that that could change quite quickly, but you know we have we have had most of our key players available for the big key parts of the season, um, and yeah, that's no mean feat as, as 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 you can see across the league. So I think they deserve a hell of a lot of credit. They're not you know they're not a department or pe- flashy people that are going to get you know credit usually, but like you say, to be able to potentially have a fully fit. Um, roster for for this weekend is puts us in a in a very strong position. Mm. Right, time is defeating us, but I think we'll finish part one with just uh, spreading the net a bit wider and looking at English teams in Europe this week. Because Lloyd, I know you wanted to talk about this. Is there? I've written everything down about every team, and we've not even had time to laugh about United seven 0 defeats, but. You can kind of squeeze it into this discussion if either of you want to talk about that. Uh, is the one team you want to start with, Lloyd, uh, talking about English teams in Europe this week? I think the key point of interest for me is wanting Arsenal and perhaps even United to actually progress in Europe. Mm. Does that sound um, like a stupid idea? No, no. I Well, I don't know why you bothered about United. I thought we said we're, they're out of the title race. Oh, well... <laughs> yeah, they are. No, no, I'd be happy for United to go out. Good. I just wanted to hear those words come out of your mouth. Um, so, <laughs> Arsenal. Uh, no, yes. no, to be honest, uh, United were getting through this round. I just kind of assumed it. I know Betis are good, but it just felt like they're going through. And I think yeah. Arsenal meeting United later on would be quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely help City, wouldn't it, if they had to play United in like a semi final or something? Um, it would just be fun for us as a neutral, yeah. It would, it would, I agree. Um, so I was kind of hoping Arsenal would maybe lose like 2-1 and mm. then, you know, they'd have to kind of turn it on at the Emirates. Um, but, you know, 2-2, not a Desmond. terrible draw. 
Desmond, yeah. And I checked the team and played a stronger team yeah. than I expected, to be honest. I think. What well, did Zinchenko... you suspect they might actually want to go out, or is that a ridiculous notion? No, I, th- I, I don't think it's ridiculous. I think, I, you know, are they going to have a better chance of winning the league next season? I don't think so. Um, no, but that, yeah, I yeah, think, you know, they've, they've been, they've been amazing this season. And I think, you know, they're definitely building in a way that they're obviously, I think, going to be title challengers next season. But I just can't see, just can't see them being five points clear of, you know, of the Premier League at this time next season. It, I, I just don't think that seems likely. So, yeah, I did think there's, there was a decent chance that they might kind of throw the Europa League and play pretty much most of their second string. But that is not what Arteta did. So Zinchenko started, Saliba started, Martinelli started, Saka started, and then most of the other players were were rotated players. So that was interesting. Um, and look, I obviously expect them to get through in the reverse leg. And I think just the fixtures coming back is a good thing for City because we've been, it feels like we've been managing the kind of juggling the competitions for a while now and Arsenal haven't. Obviously that's partly because we knocked them out uh, in the cup. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, it will definitely help us and it's just, I think it's just good for their squad as well to be stretched in a way it probably hasn't been for the last few weeks. Mm, I agree. Uh, different question for you, Chris, unless you want to talk about Arsenal in Europe. Chelsea. Mm. Vague question, but there's a reason for it. Would you rather have met a Dort- Borussia Dortmund in the quarterfinals, should City get through, or Chelsea in the quarterfinals of a Champions League? Chelsea. I was going to say Chelsea are unpredictable, but they're not. They're, they've just been predictably inconsistent, and mm. I still, and I'm not convinced that that they're showing. You know, that there's little shoots of hope starting to to sprout just because they got a win in the Premier League and 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 they beat Dortmund. Um, but they, they, I guess, because they because they are absolutely bloated with experienced players on the European stage it might make them a little bit more dangerous in Europe. Um, I, I thought Dortmund, considering the form they've been in, I thought they were a little bit slack, really. I was, I was surprised that kind of they... I, I thought they would comfortably beat Chelsea and, and, and progress. Um, but I don't... Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a bit of a muscle memory thing with Chelsea, but I, I'd rather not meet them in Europe. What? But, I, but I still think current form we we, we, we could beat them it's just it's, but it's yeah it's, yeah it's a difficult one well the other reason for the question is there's a lot of fans who think meeting an English side is more problematic than meeting a foreign side do you concur with that or does it not make any sense it, familiarity I, I yeah I, I don't I mean I can't see anything beyond superstition and emotion around that really because you know it's it's of the European side, oh, sorry, of of the English Premier League sides, who would we not want to meet in Europe this season? And you'd probably say, well, all of them because of what's at stake. Mm. You, we're not going to meet Liverpool, but you wouldn't want to meet Liverpool because of previous. 
Um, you won't want to meet United because of what's at stake. You won't want to meet Chelsea because of what they've done to us before. I, I, th- I think it's based on that is, that, is that the narrative becomes complicated because of the context of the Premier League, really. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas when we're playing uh, another European side, it feels a little bit more, more, more straightforward. Just to say about Ar- Arsenal, I want Arsenal United to meet in the semi-final. Yeah. Because they would have to then commit to it. There's no way they're going to throw at that At the worst game. possible time. It'd be like yeah. us game, having an FA Cup semi-final at the worst yeah. time every season. So. so they would have to commit to that. And then one of them then would get through to a final. And they would have to definitely commit to that because they're at the final. So that's what that's how I want that to unfold. Is that they meet at the semi-final point. Of, you know, Now we might be in a semi-final at the same time. But it would be helpful if those two were distracted by Europe as well. And look, I don't. I don't want United, as well. I don't want United yeah. to win the Europa League, but you know, it's true. it is a tournament that we're too good to even go in. So I'd get over it. It's when they win one of the big two that it really be like a punch in the stomach when United. Well, the defend, only which they will. So the, the only the only thing about if they won the Europa League was was you'd get the same media ejaculation that you got when they won the Carabao Cup. Uh, and, you know, and th- th- this belief that th- this United team has arrived and that they're back because they're winning these cups that are normally degraded by by the media when we win it four t- four times in a row. So I'd I'd rather United not win it, but I'd, but I'd rather them still be distracted. I, by, I never by did. That. I never did tell you what Peter Walton did, did I? No, go what on. What a tease! So <laughs> I, honestly, I don't even get angry about him anymore I just I absolutely love him now he's probably my favourite <laughs> uh, they showed the penalty and he went no I don't think it will be given and then you, you saw yeah there was a lot there was a delay you saw the referee going to the screen uh, they showed a different angle but didn't really tell you anything new and he mysteriously changed his mind as the referee went to the screen saying oh I think they'll give this he literally shameless brazen as you like completely Backtracked and changed his opinion on what he'd said like a minute before. Oh, really? Classic Walton. The, 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 there's just there's a thing about. I feel it sometimes about you. You feel like you feel the need to protect the referee in fraternity. You do mm. be, because because I think you have to. We have to be very careful with that. Um, but I but I think in that position, it's okay to say I wouldn't give that. But. I understand why somebody else has, and it's it's what their threshold for tolerance is. Really, mm. yeah. I, I just I, I just think that that Walton now obviously he, he sees his career going in a certain direction, and he knows that he needs to be box office. And I'm I'm not only do I think sometimes his statements are borderline incompetent, but I also think that he's got a he's got a, a wider agenda about staying on the television, and part of that is as we know is having controversial, divisive comments. That, that, that he makes so he so he he's difficult to take seriously now because he's now a a kind of broadcast personality um and so you can't take seriously some of the things that he says and lloyd before we wrap up part one with a final palate cleansing united question spurs are always going to spurs aren't they what a tap in for me here yeah. what a mess I, I i actually watched um i watched the second leg and it was so bad. That oh, is good, because the... I watched the other game instead. So. It was so bad. Uh, I watched it mainly because I wanted to watch Liao and Theo Hernandez, to be honest. Yeah. But it was it was honestly a performance that gets you sacked as a manager. So to be to be one nil down from the first leg and for the game to end nil nil 
at home and they had one chance and it was in the injury time a Kane header and then Milan went up the other end and hit the post it was it absolutely stunk and it was very Pellegrini vibes Ah, he's been burting this week hasn't he so he has been burting but that Madrid double leg was pretty painful no I understood the first leg against Madrid it was not going through in the second leg that really got to me really got to me yeah and that's and that's that's what the Spurs fans are feeling. But yeah. honestly, I watched it, and Milan, you know, Milan are like not that good to be honest this season. They've got no, a few good, they've got a few good players, but they're not the they're not the team that you know they obviously were twenty years ago. And you just felt like you know when Spurs turn it on and they do against us twice a year, every everybody year. You know they can be quite intense and break well, but Milan just sat in and, and Spurs. They just didn't even give it a crack and they didn't try and press. When Milan got the ball, they just sat back in their own half and you're watching the clock, you're like, there's 20 minutes to go. They've not even tried to attack them. There's 15 minutes to go. It was it was really bad and I think it that will be the nail in, in Conte's coffin if he wasn't already definitely leaving. Yeah. Conte wants to go home. Yeah. It's, so, it's so evident. He wants to go home because why would you put out... Like, I could not identify what Spurs' strategy was in that game. I, I couldn't work. Obviously, it was, you know, part of it was not conceded as Conte is about, but I, I, just, I don't know what instructions he gave before he sent those players out. And I just, and, and I, think his, I think his post-match comments as well point to her ma- a manager who doesn't want to be there anymore what? and a squad of players who are just waiting for the inevitable to happen. Why has he been home? Is it because he was? The, is it linked to the illness he had? Or, I don't know. No, I mean I'm talking metaphorically. Right? No, no, he has been. Yeah, yeah. He's been away. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, he was a recovery of um, recovery. Yeah, it was an appendix operation he had. Uh, it was something yeah, like something you know so. gallstones yeah. or so, yeah something. Like, it yeah. was some, It was something significant. Operation, yeah, 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 it was an operation. So you know, and he and he looks quite. He's lost weight. He looks quite. He looks gaunter than normal, mm. but he just looks haunted. He just he just looks like he wants to go home, and I think that. I would never suggest that a professional manager is deliberately trying to jeopardise his team's results. But what I just thought, saw there was just inertia and this apathetic approach to a football match, which, yeah, I've seen before in teams where the manager no longer has a stake in, 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 in his work anymore and, and is ready to just pack his bag and leave. Well, contract ends at the end of the season. The option yeah. for an additional year will mutually not be met, I would uh, yeah, I suggest. So. Right. Let's wrap up part one with a very quick palate cleansing question for both of you, Lloyd first, then Chris. Was there any conflict in watching United lose a football game 7-0 because it was Liverpool handing out that flashing? Yes, there was conflict, unfortunately. But once it got going and the score goes 1-2 to two, to 3, I've accepted that Liverpool are going are gonna to win. Um and that will, you know, bring about its own uh, its own problems. But I was very much kind of tucking in for uh, United to get absolutely slapped, and obviously, I didn't did not expect it to end where it did. So, uh, look, I'll take that one on the chin. Let's put it that way. Mm. Chris, I'm still annoyed that City eased off at six one, but hey, <laughs> never mind. We won the game, and we we made a statement. But what about you? Was there any conflict? I I have a son-in-law who's a Liverpool fan and a son-in-law who's a United fan. And whilst I was making dinner for everybody on Sunday afternoon, 
they were sat together watching the game. Um, and I did want Liverpool to win because I wanted United's potential momentum to yes. be halted. Yeah. Um, but 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 in but in that situation where it becomes the, the second half becomes so laughable and painful for one of your family members, it, it, I sort of had to withdraw slightly with it. And and so, but ultimately, for me, despite all the hyperbole around it and the explosion and the ridiculousness of the scoreline. For me, nothing has changed. I still think United are a work in progress and have improved on the Ten Hag. Uh, and I still think they'll continue to develop and improve. I still think Liverpool are have got massive surgery to do. And I still think that their, their new attacking players still need more time to develop. And they've still got huge problems in midfield and they've got an aging, uh, and they've got a problem in defense as well. None, none of the, none of the, none of the circumstances or context around both those sides has changed since that 7-0 thrashing. That, that game was a freak result. It was hilarious. I wish it had been somebody else beating United 7-0. But actually, I don't think it will change anything about the narrative for both teams go, going forward. It's just, it was just one of those games which we could all laugh at, but actually doesn't, ha- doesn't actually have that much impact apart from the bruised ego for United uh, mm. fans. Yeah, it's nice to see them back in the box anyway. Oh, of course. The, yeah, the, a few of them were stirring on Facebook after eight years' hibernation, so uh, it's gone quiet on Facebook again. And uh, yeah, there's no downside to that, is there? So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, that's it. It's time to look forward now. But before we do... Uh, during the week, I spoke to Crystal Palace fan Dan about all things Palace. So this is what he had to say. Uh, absolutely great chat. And after that, we will preview Saturday's match. I'm delighted to be joined by Dan, a.k.a. HLTCO, uh, here to talk about Crystal Palace. Uh, good morning, Dan. How are you doing? I'm okay, Howard. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. A busy day. Uh Waiting for the snow to arrive. I hear London's had a dusting. Yeah, we've we've got about I don't know a quarter of an inch on my on my garden lawn. Well, I'm, BBC- snowed, I'm snowed under. Yeah. <laughs> that's BBC's headline uh, yeah. for the news tonight. I'll get, uh, the, I'll get the ruler out and measure exactly how much there is. Well, thoughts and prayers go to everyone in London, of course, at this difficult time. So I hope you get through it. Uh, how, how's things generally? Uh, yeah, not getting on, mate. You know, it's yeah. like with content creation. You know, it's it's the toxicity of Twitter is getting worse with every day that goes by. But you know, other than that, we we persevere. Is that because you can say uh, Tottenham Hotspur playing white or something, and someone will have a go at you? Uh, yesterday, yesterday I got stick for twerking for Brentford fans, which <laughs> is oh, I don't even know. There's about um, this isn't even a. a dig at Brentford but it's not exactly like they're a fan base you'd go after for money is it really so mm. what is it anyway, you dared say I said that I quite like Thomas Frank oh. and then I got absolutely to be fair I had no concept of the fact that most people in the championship absolutely hate the man oh, so why is that though yeah. Apparently, and I was unaware of this because we've been safely ensconced in the Premier League for 10 years, but during his period as Brentford boss before they got promoted, he was very, very arrogant about them getting out of the division. Um, Which, to be fair, would rub you up up the wrong way if Mm. you were a championship club. But I was blissfully unaware of that. And uh, yeah, a lot of people got in touch with me to tell me I was talking bollocks. And now you're very much aware of it. So Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I don't see a lot of what's going on there now, but thanks to Elon Musk. But yeah, it's uh, well, you know, you've it's probably hard. done him I, a favour, really. I just don't give many opinions on there anymore. It's just like, mm. yeah, it's so hard, and it's someone will go after you. It's like unbelievable. It is a lot worse. Yeah, there's no uh, doubt about it. Yeah. Anyway, this may not cheer you up, considering the conversation we had before I pressed record. Uh, let's talk Crystal Palace. Uh, you yeah, surpri- I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that in mind, I really appreciate you taking the time out to speak to us. I mean that sincerely, uh, because obviously as football fans, sometimes you can't wait to talk about a club, and sometimes you just like... I mean, we're, we're, we're privileged in a way, aren't we? And lucky to, you know, to uh, certainly some of my job to talk about football. I mean, I can think of a lot worse things to do, but sometimes you just don't want to, do you? You want to Not walk moment, away no. and have a few days away and go for a walk and forget about football, like you used to in the old days before social media and uh, pods and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. I do appreciate it because I was surprised. I said I've not watched a lot of Crystal Palace recently. I can only go off your results. I've obviously seen Match of the Day. I see what's being said. Uh, and I see your tweets, of course. And you've no wins in 2023, but the results on the surface are not that terrible. And yet when I spoke to you before this podcast, you said Crystal Palace are absolutely terrible at the moment, worse than under Hodgson. hope you don't mind me quoting that off the record. Are, are they that bad at the moment? To be fair, there will be people, well, I don't know how many Palace fans are listening to this, yeah. to be fair. To be honest, but there, there will be Palace fans. There, yeah. Yeah, no, there will be Palace fans that say, "Come on, like let's not go too far there." But we are. I, the, my main gripe, really, is that everyone that I speak to for these opposition previews, they look at our team and they see Zaha, Elise, mm. Eze, Edward, Gay, Anderson. You go through the team, and they think, "Well, we're going to be up against it today." And then the reality of the fixture comes around. And we don't have a shot on target. I mean, we have not had a shot on target for 200 minutes of football. Mm. And that's, under any level, it's not good. But, I mean, the, the statistics that I can just reel off, off the top of my head, we've scored nine goals from open play all season. Two wow. of those goals have not involved Wilfred Zaha. So we've scored two open play goals all season long without Wilf being involved directly. We haven't scored a goal in the first half in 2023. We haven't won a game in 2023. And I, for the life of me, can't really put my finger on what we can do to make us a more potent attacking threat with the way the squad is, which every, is genuinely concerning. You know? Every City fan that's listening to this right now is going, oh, we're losing this game. <laughs> so, yeah. That's for the other side, yeah. Uh, wow, those stats are staggering. I mean, the reason, you know, to play devil's advocate is some of your home results. Are you held United, of course. You held Newcastle. And, and who else? Uh, Liverpool. So is it as bad? Is this is it a lot worse away from home? Or is this symptomatic? Yeah, you know, whether you're home or away, is it as equally bad football to watch right now? There is a school of thought. I mean, I've said this to somebody else over the last week. I appreciate this sounds like I'm clutching at straws, right? And I know that you have to play every team home and away. Everyone does over a season. It's fair, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at the run of games we have had over the last couple of months, we have played the top half every single week other than Aston Villa 
who I think are 11th. It's incredible. Like, we played Man United twice. We played uh, Liverpool. We've played Newcastle. We've got, after after yourselves, we've got Brighton away and then Arsenal away. Mm. But then from the 1st of April, the fixtures ease off dramatically. The only worry that I have is that the morale will be so low by that point if we get beat free on the spin now that we will struggle to get the fluency together to get the points necessary to drag us out of any potential relegation battle. Because, I mean, certain Palace fans will say that the angle that was aimed at Patrick Vieira towards the back end of last season was that he wasn't stoic enough when he needed to be and we were trying to be too free-flowing and open. And maybe he's dialed that back a bit in recent games given the difficulty of the fixtures and tried to make us harder to beat and you can point towards you know the results that you've just mentioned and say that that is there to be seen but when it's at the complete sacrifice of any cutting edge in the final third it does become very difficult to watch you know we had a goal disallowed after five minutes against Villa I think Zaha's toe was about three millimetres offside and then they've, they've obviously got in front with an own goal but other than that, we didn't have a shot on target. And and obviously the red card is a defining factor in it, but it's just it's a struggle to get up for anything as a Palace fan at the moment because it's all damage limitation given the quality of the opposition that we're facing week after week. So lack of goals is obviously an issue. Mm. Uh, and that all, do you put that down to the way Vieira uh, sets you up? Because it, you do have those exciting players that you reeled off earlier up front but Zaha aside they're not performing either is it on the players or is it on the manager I think it's a bit of both I mean it's very easy to sort of look at last season's squad and suggest it's just Conor Gallagher's absence that has stopped us being the same team that we were last term I think it's not necessarily Conor Gallagher it's more a case of if you look at our central midfield options they are all very defensively minded you know, Chet Decore is a fantastic player, someone that has really stabilised things at the, the base of the midfield. But even, you know, you point towards Lukonga or Will Hughes or Jeff Schlupp, none of them have the regular ability to break the lines. And that's what Conor Gallagher was able to do, which sort of stitched together the midfield and the front men. What, what is happening this season is that we'll get the ball and immediately look out to the flanks, but it's not as though there's any sort of meshing together in the middle of the park and we are really struggling to sustain attacks or look after the ball for a prolonged period of time I think we've also run the least of any team in the league which for me is a massive alarm bell for a Crystal Palace team because we should be nowhere near the bottom of that at any point you know the USP of Palace has always been 100% for the full 90 and and making sure that you don't get outworked and, and you just look at the stats and that isn't the case week after week at the moment yeah, I think you tweeted the other day, do we start to panic yet? You mentioned mm. Brighton and Arsenal after City. Do you fear being sucked into a real relegation battle now? I think you have to be realistic. You know, we are highly likely to lose on Saturday evening, not just because of the strength of Manchester City in comparison to us, but also because Cech de Corre is banned after his red card against Aston Villa. Mm. And then you throw in, I mean, away games. The, the Brighton fixture for us is huge at any point of the season anyway. But given the form that they're on, given the form that we're on, and it's away from home, I really feel as though, you know, a three or four nil hammering by them will have a hugely detrimental impact on the morale of the fan base, which is already fragile to say the least. And then you're going into a game away from home at the league leaders. You know, it's just 
a real gauntlet to run. And I do genuinely fear that, because it's so tight at the bottom of the table. You know, yeah. I look at all the teams down there, and other than Bournemouth probably, I sort of have cases that I could make for all of them staying up. You know, I think West Ham squad will eventually click enough to avoid the bottom three. I think Sean Dyche will galvanise Everton. I think Wolves are on an upward trend. Southampton have picked up two wins recently. Leeds have got a load of endeavour in them. You know, there's just, even Nottingham Forest are are fantastic at home. So there is all sorts of worry that three straight defeats at this point of the season can drag you right into it. And then it's a case of, of actually getting the most out of those winnable fixtures that are still to come. You know, on paper, we've got more than enough to get enough points to stay up. But I just worry about the confidence of the group because it is, it's a young squad as well. And, and we lack leaders, which at that stage of the season, if, if pushes come into shove, it, it might sort of shine a light on that, unfortunately. And I guess because you've not had that standout season, this, this does feel like Zaha's final season at Palace. Oh yeah, I think I, there was there was a part of me that wondered, you know, if we sort of went on a bit of a purple patch post World Cup yeah. and got into the top half and looked like we might make it into Europe, etc. Then he may want to, you know, think, well, actually, this is where I want to be long term. But realistically, we as supporters, we all pretty much, unless you, you know, bury your head in the sand, appreciate that he's thirty years old now. He's done his time. He's yeah. never down tools and he wants to go and try and win things you know I, I saw a rumour linking him with a move to Saudi Arabia and I I mean I could be wrong obviously that may come to pass and he may end up because realistically other than Ronaldo he'd be the best player in that league so I would imagine he'd be getting a ridiculous sum of money weekly but everything that he has sort of said over the last couple of years suggests that he wants to go and play in Europe and test himself at the highest level possible it's not going to be about money so I think chances are he will move on. And it is sad to think that, you know, the final season of Zaha as a Palace player is sort of going to potentially end in disaster. But even if it doesn't, a bit of a damp squib, really. As for Vieira, what's his standing with fans right now? Um, It's difficult. I I don't think there is a sort of growing sense of of grumbling over him and and whether we should replace him. But for my money, like I don't really see an obvious replacement. You know, it's mm. not as if, I mean, we've seen what's happened with, with Leeds and Southampton. They've changed their managers and, you know, Ruben Sellers has, has carried on at Saints. They've got Javi Grazia in at Leeds. It's not as though there's a a huge number of obvious yeah. candidates to come in and, and take over. And I think we've really tried to change the makeup of the squad age profile-wise and everything else. And, and realistically, you know, we need a proper goal scorer. We're going to need a replacement for Zaha. We need more cover on both sides of, of defence. It's not a squad that, that is set up to be in the top half. That isn't me trying to make excuses for Vieira. There are tactical decisions he's made. And, you know, dropping Odson Edward in the last couple of games is something that's got under the skin of fans. But I would argue that he's sort of fighting a bit of a losing battle with one arm time behind his back, in a sense, because we just haven't really been anywhere near active enough in the transfer market to give him a squad that is capable of, of finishing the top half or having the upward mobility, for my money. And do Palace fans demand football that's more entertaining than what he's provided recently, or is that... No. Is it that, more that's, about results that you want? It, it's more... It, I was actually having a point made on the podcast that I recorded myself this morning. You often get 
supporters, don't you? Whether it's you know the West Ham way or Spurs yeah. wanting football played a certain way, I think the the Palace DNA is not to do with pretty football. It's not to do with goals. It's to do with with grit and spirit. If, if you've got a group of players that aren't necessarily the most tactically or technically gifted, but that will put in a shift, they will be given all sorts of of room for error. Uh, and unfortunately, aside from the ridiculously poor goal-scoring stats that we've got this season, it just doesn't feel like this group care in the same way that other Palace squads have. Uh, and it's, it's that, really, that is is leading to the sense of apathy from fans yeah. because, I mean, I, it's very easy to sort of be wise after the event. But when we made the decision to change the age profile of the squad dramatically, it was one that was done with an eye on the future. But there is an argument to be made that players like Michael Elise and Abireze, as much as they want to win and they care about the results from week to week, they're not palace in the sense of, you know, living and dying for the badge. Mm. And realistically, if we were to be relegated, they would both be sold that summer for large sums of money. So they know there's not a huge amount of jeopardy on their shoulders. And I think that as a collective entity is maybe part of the issue because there's there's not that sense of foreboding across the entire squad where they're willing to put their bodies on the line. I appreciate I'm sort of putting two and two together and getting five there, but it, it does sort of feel like this squad at the moment doesn't have the archetypal palace spirit that has carried us through in so many of the recent seasons. Yeah, as an outsider, there's probably a lazy view. I always associate palace having that flair, flair players mm. in forward positions. You still do have you know, those players. You just And that's part of the problem right now. You're just not getting the maximum out of them. Because they're saying, I mean, you've yeah. got players there that can really entertain, can so if you look at Yannick Bellassi as a prime example, right? Someone that was, you know, a cult hero at Palace and everyone from a neutral perspective used to look at him and think, well, what a player he is when he's on his game. He still had a real drive to him. You know, he would pick the ball up from deep and he would run himself into the ground. And that coupled with the ability was what made him such a potent force at Palace. Uh, this isn't me trying to throw Michael Elise or Bireyeze under the bus because they're incredibly talented footballers. Mm. But when the chips are down, you need players that are prepared to, you know, grab the game by the scruff of the neck and, and make sure that it is a, a, a change in momentum rather than just sort of fizzling out. And and that is, I suppose, the difference we're seeing at the moment. Because I mean, James McArthur is another player who's barely featured this season. He's thirty five years old. He's been struggling with knee injuries all the way through the campaign but he is someone that would have put his body on the line every single minute and without him without Conor Gallagher uh, with Wilf having been injured for the last few weeks it's just been difficult to maintain that Palace spirit I suppose Hmm. Let's talk about the match then Uh, before we talk about the teams themselves do you fan 5.30 kickoffs? Uh, last opposition fan last week the Newcastle half 12 god I despise half 12 kickoffs half 12 is terrible yeah. this is a much better time to have a football match though isn't it yeah I, I'll be honest I would say we had a game against Liverpool a week or so ago that was a 7.45 kickoff on a Saturday which yeah, I'm, I'm not that. used to at all yeah but you say that right I find with 5.30 it's the worst because it ruins your day in terms of flow whatever mm. you're doing you can't do anything proper before. You can't do anything proper after, right? At least with the 7.45 kickoff that we had the other day, you can have a full Saturday, really. And then once the evening's there, you think yeah. about going to football. It's, it's like a Tuesday night, but without work. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Whereas with the 12.30s, it will just ruin your entire weekend if you lose or you don't win. And then you don't want to watch football for the rest of the weekend. It's, it, it's terrible. But 5.30 is sort of in the middle. More likely to have something on yeah, on a Saturday night. But, or exactly. maybe in the old days, I'm more likely to have something on. <laughs> the only good thing about half 12 is if you win. If you win, yeah, it's of course, like, yeah. it's quarter past, 20 past two. We've got three points in the bag and now we've got the whole weekend just to go to the pool. Well, so the football, no pressure. But yeah, it's not. It's not as an time. example of that, we lost to Villa on Saturday and we were, can I swear on it? I don't know if I can or not. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were fucking terrible. <laughs> we just we just were, I can't even explain to you how miserable I was on Saturday evening. Um, and the early kickoff on Sunday was Forest versus Everton. And obviously that has a direct impact on us, you know, in, in the relegation battle. You've got two teams below us. It's good atmosphere at the city ground. If we'd won that game against Aston Villa, I'd have been keyed up for that. I'd have been very, very keen. And I sort of sat there with it on, just almost resenting the TV even being on in the lounge. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. obviously the 4.30 game rolled around and it was so ridiculous that Liverpool put seven past United that I couldn't stop myself from being involved in it but mm. had it just been a, a run of the mill 1-1 draw your enthusiasm for football just goes completely out of the window doesn't it so yeah. you know well you kind of already answered this because I said I'm looking at your home results mm. Liverpool 0-0 you weren't bad during that game eh? if Liverpool weren't no. at the peak Pallet, we uh, beat them, Brighton one all. yeah bit of luck there but you didn't lose Newcastle 0-0 I would say I've watched extended highlights. You weren't bad there either. Nick Pope made an absolutely unbelievable save in that game as well. Like so up then, there for save of the season. So and yet you think Palace don't stand the chance in this match. <sighs> There's a specific reason for that though. Okay, go on. Check the core rate. Right. Well, so that, when we haven't had Check the core this season, we have looked absolutely lost in the middle of the park. Right. Like he is. He is such an underrated player from a neutral perspective, and I appreciate he's only been here since August, but he pretty much does the job of two defensive midfielders in one in mm. terms of screening the back four. So without him against a team as full of quality as you are and with so many different weapons to hurt you in, in that section of the pitch, I just think we're going to get overrun because we already don't have the ability to break lines and put you under pressure from a defensive perspective so if we invite pressure on without Czech Decore there I personally just can't see anything other than a comfortable defeat really So, so who comes in t- to replace him do you think? I would imagine without Czech Decore there he will plump for a midfield free of Lukonga who has been starting next to Czech all the way through the uh, last couple of games Jeffrey Schlup and Will Hughes just because that trio has the ability to best shackle Manchester City mm. across 90 minutes. But at the same time, we may well find ourselves in a situation where we're so overrun from a defensive perspective that we just struggle to get out at all. And that's where Ahamada comes in, the player that we signed from Stuttgart uh, on the 31st of January. But I'm just not sure, given his lack of game time, that Patrick Vieira would want to risk him in a game like this and, and that sort of goes towards the defensive perspective of our last few performances uh, As for you how, how are you going to set up is he flexible at all or do you think this is just going to be like sit deep and look try and get City on the break with pace I think it will be exactly that we, we it's another bugbear of mine because 
we've got technically three strikers if you want to spin it that way. Mm. Obviously, Odson Edward, who I've mentioned already, John Felipe Mateta, or Will Zaha, who can be in sort of a central striker's role. Uh, but, you know, for my money, Wilf is far more dangerous and potent coming in off the left-hand side. Yeah. Uh, and we set up completely differently based on which one of those three is sort of leading the line. Mateta is this big lumbering centre-forward. I, I don't really want to throw him under the bus, but I don't really understand how he's a Premier League footballer uh, in terms of his technical abilities with the ball. He's a great finisher if you provide him with service in the box. But outside of that, there's just not a lot uh, to be seen with JP. Odson Edward is undeniably a better footballer, uh, but post-match, after the Aston Villa game, Vieira was very open with the fact that he said something along the lines of, I hope him being dropped for the last two games has, has hurt him and I want to see more from him. So maybe we'll see Odson Edward given a start against Man City with uh, the aim of sort of proving himself to Vieira, but it sort of hints that there being trouble behind the scenes between those two. Mm. It, it's just, I, I would imagine 4 5 1 is, is absolutely guaranteed with one of uh, Eze or Elise drop into the bench to accommodate a three-man midfield that is more defensively solid without Chet de there. And he doesn't touch the ball much and we don't always pass to him, but how do you think you try and handle Erling Haaland during this match? I mean, so I always go back to the game you played against West Ham at the very beginning of this season where mm. he just had space to run in behind and dispatch the chance with almost like a robot, you know, the, the ability of him to have the pace and, and the, the belief in his own finishing to just dispatch those chances really struck me. So, I mean, we all know, I'm sure you're probably as sick of talking about it in some ways as I am as an opposition fan, but there's no real way to stop him. You know, mm. even at, uh, earlier in the season, in the game at the Etihad he had between ourselves, you know, we were doing relatively well. Of course, we took the lead. But then all of a sudden, he pops up in the six-yard box and, and all of a sudden, he's got a couple of goals to his name. So we have to be just constantly aware, I think. You know, it's not a straightforward task and he could easily bag a hat-trick if he's on his game and, and you're able to provide service to him. But I think the main target for me would be to not leave space in behind because yeah. if you do that, you're just on a hide into nothing from the very start. And I guess uh, after Cal Walker's uh, exploits, if you've read the <laughs> Sun newspaper today, Zaha could have some joy on that left side if he's not playing. So who knows? So how. who would come in for Carl Walker? Well, it'd have to be Rico Lewis. But I, just for the record, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Or oh, this could be out of date by the Friday. Uh, yeah, depends true. what Pep says I in mean, a press conference. But yeah, Walker Rico Lewis. Is, uh, but very inexperienced, of course. And the pace of Walker is much needed. Uh, well, Walker is such a he does such a good job about yeah mm. he does such a good job against Wilf whenever they play you know there aren't many fullbacks that have consistently got the better of Zaha year after year Reese James is one of them Carl Walker always gives as good as he gets so mm. I hope that we see Wilf deployed on the left hand side without Walker in your side and and it does us the world of good but indeed. you know it's not as though Rico Lewis can't handle himself it's just a bit of a yeah. baptism of fire I guess indeed. Well, sorry to do this, but we'll finish with a score prediction, Dan. As I always say on these opposition previews, even if I think it, I can't happily predict that we're going to lose a game. So I will go nil-nil if I'm going with my heart (laughs) rather than my head. I think it could be tight. I don't know if I'm just negative every week, uh, but uh, maybe a a 2-0. 
win for City. But <laughs> I, lo- I love the fact that a two 0 wins negative. I, well, I wish I'm mo- normally more negative. So, but <laughs> oh, well, yeah. the technical I... right thing swung you. Oh yeah, I've, I've probably have done a worse score before I spoke to you, but you're giving me a bit of confidence. But with our performance, we don't have it easy at your ground, so I don't no. know how much that matters. What's happened last year or the year before? But it's always well, no, a Pep, battle, Pep and I'm still expecting the same. I'm still Pep genuinely fears us. Yeah, yeah, I'm so. expecting the same. So we'll see. Anyway, Dan, as always, after this weekend, uh, all the best <laughs> for the rest of the season, and thank you very much for coming on. That's my pleasure. Always happy to do it. Yeah, and now we we'll go back to the panel to discuss the Saturday evening game. All right, thanks once more, Dan, for taking the time out to speak to us. And yeah, time to preview the Saturday afternoon stroke evening match. Uh, I'll start by mentioning a stat that blew me away during that discussion. Uh, Chris Lloyd, you won't have heard my discussion with Dan. Palace have nine open play goals all season. Only two of those nine was Zaha not involved in. They've not won in 2023, which you probably know. No first half goals in 2023 either. Now, I know a lot of people are listening now going, oh, 1-0 loss incoming. <laughs> but we've, st- we've struggled there before. It's always been competitive there. Lloyd, are we overestimating potentially their threat this time around, or do you think it's still going to be a tough game? Palace are terrible this season. Uh, but Selhurst Park is a tough place to go, particularly when the light fades. I don't know why that makes a difference, but I think it does. And Zahar is fit. And I think whilst he, in any game that he plays for Palace, that I think increases the threat level by, you know, 30, 40%. So it's still a slight banana skin, but it's not, it's not the banana skin. I think that it has been in past seasons where you feel like getting three points at Selhurst Park is like an absolutely huge uh, result. Hmm. Well, Chris, your views because, and he was, you know, Dan was like, no, we're just, as Lloyd he just said, we're terrible. We're ter- They've not had a shot on target in 196 minutes, I think. But they've held Newcastle at home. They've held United mm. at home, of course, with that late free kick. They've held Liverpool at home. So there's a complete contradiction there with their apparent terribleness. Uh, which obviously isn't a word. Uh, so uh, where do you come out on this? Is it like City should go there and win comfortably? Or do you think, like in the past, and even at home for a while this season, they're going to be a threat to us? Does history matter, basically? I think history matters when we are previewing the game because all those memories kick in, um, including didn't, we drew there last season, didn't we, towards the end? Was it like a two-all... Was it? Oh no! It was the game where Bernardo, like the ball slides yeah. across the. Was it? Was it a nil nil? Get it? It was nil nil. Yeah. Nil nil, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. A, it was but, the, like Nadir of false nine for City. Yeah, kind of yeah. I remember it was kind of, a, and it was, uh, it was, it was a shocking result for us because we, we we dominated so much. If you look at if you look at Palace's stats, I think they've only won at home four times, um, this season, and all their games are really low scoring. Yeah. Uh, as regards them. And so, obviously, like as you said, as, as that stat that, that, that you produce kind of testifies to that. Um, 
and the and the and the teams that they've held, you know, they've held Liverpool, they've held United, and they've held Newcastle. But 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 you know, none of those teams are are us, you know. And I think I think Arsenal gave them. Did Arsenal give them a paste in? Their place? If they've gone there, if they played them away, then yes, it'll be the Arsenal played them first game of the season. Ah, the very, very first game and yeah. played really well. Yeah, and be, and, and beaten two 0 That's right. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that they've been they were able to hold Liverpool and they've been able to hold United and 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 latterly they've been able to to hold Newcastle. It, it doesn't surprise me because obviously their game plan has shifted slightly. Um, but looking at it, yeah, history tells me this will not be an easy game because it never is at, at Palace, and I think that 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 anticipation does filter the way we look at the game but looking statistically and looking at the way the way they're functioning as a unit at the minute and there's clearly some you know there's clearly a lack of harmony in that club at the moment in terms of the way that they're approaching games that i I i'm not saying i'm comfortable about us winning there but i do expect us to win um, based on current form yeah. and based on what's been happening this season. You'd say the record got a Bournemouth vibe about it because we went to Bournemouth and it's like they don't concede much either. So yeah, mm. they've 13 home games, won four, drawn five, lost four. Mm. 12-4, 17-17 against. Not scored yeah. many, not conceded many, minus five goal difference. But Bournemouth was the same in a way and it was you know, a comfortable game. So you would hope if it played out similar fashion that you know that would be fine. Lloyd, are you surprised that this is how it's turned out with Vieira? Uh, there's been there's been some stories of disharmony behind the scenes as well. Uh, or has he been let down a bit with uh, in the transfer market? Well, yeah. So listeners will have to um, will have to believe me, but I've got a slight insight into what goes in. Behind, what goes on behind the scenes at Palace for a friend and it sounds like they are increasingly unimpressed with Vieira and particularly the quality of the people that he brought with him um, to Palace and I don't think he's got very long in the job but I am I, I was a little bit surprised to find some of that detail out because I've always been super impressed with Vieira whenever he speaks in press conferences and the way he carries himself and you know I've, I've never known maybe um, you know how tactically kind of um, proficient he is and you know can he set a team up tactically to trouble say Klopp's Liverpool City City and Guardiola etc but they've been they've been on what feels like a slow decline since Vieira was six months into the job and I know a few Palace fans very well like I kind of just said and they are absolutely tearing their hair out this season because they've been playing you know a front three of uh, whilst the has been out of Mateta, Jordan Ayew and Jeffrey Schlupp which you know it doesn't really move the needle or the emotion does it and uh, they've still got those exciting flair players haven't they that well this is it so, so Eze's yeah. been benched recently who obviously gives them a bit of something and he's been playing a little more in midfield of late Elise has kind of stayed in the team and he's been the main kind of creative outlet and obviously is, is a good player but Mateta, Schlupp and Ayu are all just really struggling for, for anything 
never mind goals. Um, so they just aren't they aren't the vibrant team that they often have been in the kind of recent Premier League era. But Zaha being back, like I said, I do think it makes a big difference. He he can win a game on his own for Palace, and he's you know I've I've seen him score enough goals against City to know that you can't take them lightly when when he's playing. But things things are not well at Palace and I would be I would be surprised I'd be very very surprised if Vieira is their manager next season mm. and Ducore is out for them of course having been sent off last week which according to Dan is a huge huge loss for them because he's been keeping it together basically in a you know, well defence midfield you know everything basically stability so there will be a lot weaker for that even if it does mean that Sahar is back so let's talk City then City selection uh, Chris Leipzig is on Tuesday evening mm. will Pep be influenced at all by that huge game with his selection here or with a fully fit squad and no game during the week should he just be focusing on this <sighs> it's hard to say I think that he's, he'll, I think he will continue to rotate very possibly in defence. I'm hoping that his selection for the midfield three and the front three is becoming more solidified. Um, and, but he's wanted to keep his defensive players rotated to keep them happy, but to keep them fit as well. Um, I the kind of game that Palace might be in, in terms of if they're playing a, if they're playing a low block, we know the kind of players that he will employ to kind of unpick that lock. But um, I think that I'd be surprised if you saw, if you didn't see some quite a lot of changes, well, not a lot, but enough changes between the Palace lineup and the and the Leipzig lineup. Like it's possible that Mares might come in for Europe, um, but I would like I would I would like to see him put out the team near enough that he put out against Newcastle, just because I want certain mm-hmm. players to start to get to continue to thrive in the dynamic, particularly that front three of Brutish and Foden and, and Haaland. I want to see that dynamic continue to explore what they're capable of together. Yeah. What about you, Lloyd? I'm going to ask you the impossible question. Is Walker selection in any way a dilemma? And we'll be brief on this, Ugh. not because I'm a coward, but whatever you say, someone will disagree online. So there's little point even, uh, yeah. even discussing it, to be honest, because you just can't win. Uh, if my Twitter timeline is anything to go by this week. But it seems from the way City responded and it's played out, it's business as usual. Mm. He's training. And of course, with Zaha on the left, you kind of, yeah, other considerations apart. Selection-wise, you need Walker in the side, don't you? I think so. Yeah, I think think this is definitely a game you'd want Kyle Walker to play. For, the, for obvious reasons, you know, Palace are going to sit back and all of their threat comes from from counter-attack via Zahar, Elise and then Eze if he starts. Pep will be asked about this in the press conference. Won't well, that's what I was just about to say. So we are recording this before Pep's press conference. So um, given Pep, how Pep's approached <laughs> difficult subjects this season, uh, there's probably every chance that he doesn't go for the straight bat and might say something. So maybe that will be instructive. But um, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's, I, it's hard to know what to say on the Walker stuff, to be honest. Um, well, you don't have to. I mean, you, you predict he starts, don't you? I don't know, to be honest. I, 
I, I don't know what what's been go, what will have been going on behind the scenes. I think that there is obviously a chance that he doesn't play because of what's happened, but it's kind of impossible to say. Um, so I think there is a question mark over whether he starts. Whereas if if what came out on um, Tuesday hadn't have come out, I think it, it would probably be nailed that he would play this game. Would you have faith in Rico Lewis handling Zaha? Mm, I mean, if it if it comes to it, it comes to it. But it, it wouldn't be. It definitely wouldn't be my first choice. No, I think if um, if the club are able to compartmentalise what's happened with Walker off the field and keep it away from selection, I, I see Walker playing both games. I would not want I would not want Lewis to play the Palace game up against Zaha because. He offers something exceptional, but it's different to what Walker offers. And Walker has experience, but also has the uh, robust physicality to be able to deal with with Zaha. So and yeah, pace. yeah, and the pace, and 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 also you know the 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 he's familiar with Zaha. He's played up against him before, and he's and he's and he's schooled him before as well. So yeah, I think if Walker is available for selection. And he's not on. He's not been disciplined by the club. I I'd anticipate he plays both games. Okay, Lloyd. Easier question. Do you two want a similar side? Rest of the eleven, other ten players, similar side to Newcastle game. Yes, although I did say on the review after Newcastle, and I'm going to stick to my guns. I think De Bruyne shouldn't play. Because I thought Bernardo that would come in, obviously. Yeah, I thought he was. I just thought he was rubbish against Newcastle, and it's you know not for the first time. And is this not a game that suits him though, or does that does that make any sense? To you? Yeah, and it it does because it's likely to be, you know, low block, and obviously Kev is one of you get out of jail free cards in that. Um, it, he's got that ball in him, you know, that that can just. You can get a goal, a bit like the one against Villa at Villa Park, where you know he just crosses it for Haaland, puts it on a sixpence, and Haaland kind of ends up tapping it in at the back post, and you're like, "Wow, how has that happened?" But that's all well and good. But if you know De Bruyne gives the ball away 18 times again, um, then we're going to get counterattacked on, and that's the main threat from from Palace. And I, I did think he was really bad against Newcastle, so. I would bench him. Um, I would play Rodri and Bernardo and Gundo in midfield. I would play the same front three as long as Phil is okay. Um, mainly because I would imagine Mares plays in the Champions League because that seems to be how Pep goes. And I would like to see one of Laporte or Stones come back in, if possible. Ideally, Stones instead of a Kanji, and then we go Walker Stones. Diaz Ake, that sounds great to be honest, and I would be confident of that back four doing the job against Palace. So that's the team I'd like. Chris, your thoughts on Kevin De Bruyne possibly not starting? I and mean, this is a chance instead that he could actually play Alvarez with uh, the likes of Haaland. Is that too left field? There's just on De Bruyne, there's very few players that I would give a pass to, but De Bruyne is one of them. Um, and I and I take Lloyd's point completely that his stats against Newcastle were pretty appalling. It, it, you know, not, not even just by his high standards, but generally for a midfield player in the Premier League. But De Bruyne is what, 
he's he's a player that I call he's he's one of the centimeter players that things he do things that he he tries to pull off they are he's got about a centimeter margin for them to be abject ab, abject failure yeah um and i think that as you saw against newcastle his his radar was off um and and the way he was touching the ball the way he was passing the ball everything everything was off his normal instinct his normal reflexes was off but I don't think De Bruyne would benefit from being benched. The kind of professional is the kind of individual and character he is. And I just think he's one of those players that I will always give. I would give a pass to. I used to feel the same way about David Silva. When David Silva occasionally had a poor game, I'd say, don't bench him. You let him play. You let him, you let him iron out the, those creases. In the same way that we let Rodri do it when he was taken over from Fernandinho. So I would go with Lloyd's bat line completely. But I would go, um, Gundo, Rodri, and De Bruyne in midfield, and then the the front three of the Shaggers. <laughs> and, and I'd keep Bernardo as an impact sub for this game, and maybe think about playing him in Europe. Possibly. Yeah, like, yeah. Do you think there's a chance Pep just keeps that back four though? That can even though yeah, Stones and Laporta back, that he just. He's, he, Kanji, he's just, I think someone said, like, he's in love with the Kanji. Mm. You know, and fair play, Kanji's come in and the speed with which Kanji's adapted to the system is pretty extraordinary. But you just, Stones, all round centre half, Stones is our best centre half at the club because of his, of the diversity of his skills. And he offers something that nobody else offers in that bat line. So, so, and if he is fit, I would play him over. Laporte and think about possible Laporte for for Leipzig, but I, I kind of feel that Diaz now is is a, is cemented. You can't move him, and Ake as well. I mean, what a, what a progress, what a story Ake's had this season for us. So it's, I kind of feel like Ake and Diaz now are kind of some of the first names on the sheet. But if Stones is fit, definitely playing. Okay, do you, how do you see this playing out, Lloyd? Do you see it being frustrating because they are just gonna play dead? I think it somewhat depends on our team selection, to be honest. And I do think it depends on whether Walker plays in terms of my nerves will be very different an hour before kickoff if if we have to if Lewis has to play versus Walker. But, you know, team selection being well, I'm I'm hoping this should be a relatively comfortable game. Um I, I think there's there's probably a chance there's well, a chance, there's probably a good chance Palace score because we're not very good at keeping clean sheets this season. But they're Zahar, not very good at scoring, so... They're not, but Zahar does cause us problems. And, you know, there's every chance that they get one counter-attack and he scores. I just, you know, that, that, that I feel like that happens to City so often. But I would imagine that we would have enough. And so I, I'm thinking like 3-1 kind of vibes. Um, maybe Maybe 2-0, I don't know. But I don't think there's a chance they score. Chris, your score prediction? I gave mine with Dan on Wednesday and I can't remember what it was, but I said it'd be tight, maybe, I don't know, 2-0 or something. But... I, I would go for 2-0. I, I, I think it will be tight. I, what what I would hope for is an early City goal within the first 25 minutes. And we have scored, finally, we've started scoring a couple of early yeah. goals recently. So, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, obviously this, and, 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 and I think that, that, Obviously, it was a very different game at the Etihad where we went down 2-0, first of all. Yeah. But, that, but Palace defenders will be very 
conscious of the chaos that Haaland can score. But if we can get a goal in the first 20, 25 minutes, um, I would 2-0. I'll say 2-0. I'd like 3-0, but but I think 2-0 well, is achievable. I'd like 8-0, but you know. <laughs> we, we don't want to be greedy. Do no. 2-0 would be great. You that remind great. me of one of the great 2-0s. Uh, yeah. And our title winning campaign. You know Decade which one, Torre. don't you? you know oh, which Newcastle. Huh? After Liverpool. Newca- it was after Liverpool had lost to Chelsea, was it? Yeah, Jacko and Torre is yeah. the one you're referring to. Oh, yeah. what a man. Yeah. What memories. Oh, I've got to have to watch the highlights of that again later. Oh, do you mean the Palace? Yeah, the Palace one. Yeah, Palace that, game, that, yeah. So. That gorgeous interplay between Torre and Nazri, wasn't it? Remember, Early goal that he, day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah beautiful. Right. Uh, oh, Lloyd, I've forgotten the most important question of all. Oh, no. That only you can answer. Must win game. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal away to Fulham on the Sunday. I'm going to get... I mean, it's not an easy game, but you're probably expecting them to win, aren't you? So we we can't go more than... Can we go more than five points behind? Am I going to spin the must win wheel? Um, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, Arsenal, it probably is, isn't it? To probably, be well, they probably Arsenal got two very winnable games after Fulham. You don't, you don't want the psychological, and we've got a we don't play for ages. We've got a postponed well. game. It's the last league game of the month. It's ridiculous. So yeah, I feel psychologically, like it is a must yeah. win. I yeah. feel like, I'm sorry. I'm going to spin the wheel, and it's landed on must win. So I, I just we can't. I don't think we can drop more points on Arsenal at this stage, particularly because they play twice. And and we don't play for the rest of this month, like you say. So I think it is a must-win. Chris, do you go? Categorically, every game moving forward now in this 12-game running is a must-win. But we look at must-wins before and after. Before this game now, it's, it is a must-win. We need to, just in mm. case, for, you know, because we don't want Arsenal to gain anything more. However, if we lose or draw... We'll, we'll, we'll reconsider what is actually a must win. Let's consider what happens next. Every game from this point to the end of the season or the next 12 fixtures, they are a must win because we need to maximise the possibility of pulling Arsenal back in and be able to overtake them. And so for that reason, every everyone is a must win. And with that, we will end the show. Chris, thank you very much for taking the time out to speak today. Absolute pleasure as always. Thank you. Good to have you back. Thank I don't you. think there was any disciplinary issues during that podcast <laughs> either. Just time, well, there might be with Joe, but not with you. So, <laughs> uh, Lloyd, thank you very much. Appreciate it. My pleasure, mate. Yeah, really enjoyed that. That is a wrap. Another bumper show. Uh, we're all off to have a Bruno Fernandez-style strop and push over a linesman because we can't build a snowman. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. And as always, up the blues.